welcome to the BPL Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and I'm here with a very special guest today, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, Associate Professor at The Ohio State University. So special thanks to Hassan for agreeing to be on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Hassan is doing a program here at the library the day after this podcast is recorded, um, teaching hard history, all about changing the way that American slavery is taught here in the U.S. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and also about some projects that Hassan has worked on, his background, things like that. So Hassan, can you tell us a little bit about your background, maybe where you grew up and your career path and how you ended up at OSU? Yeah, certainly. And first, of course, thank you so much for, for having me here uh, to participate in the podcast. Look forward to the discussion. Sure, sure. Um, and, and, and so I'm, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, uh, born and raised, uh, came of age in the 1980s. Uh, graduated uh, from Midwood High School, public high school in New York City, um, which I, I like to tell uh, my students that my high school was larger than my college in terms of population. Okay. Headed down to uh, 5,000 students or so is New York City. Uh, I headed down to uh, Atlanta, Morehouse College, uh, where I majored in history uh, and received my degree. Morehouse is a historically black college, uh, all black, all male. Um, all mater of Dr. Martin Luther King, Spike Lee, and, and several other notable African-American men. Uh, and then from there, I headed up to uh, Durham, North Carolina, up south, uh, where I earned my master's and PhD uh, in African-American, in U.S. history slash African-American history with a concentration on uh, civil rights and black power. Spent a year at, when I finished up there in the early 2000s, spent a year teaching at the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, uh, before heading up to uh, Ohio State, uh, where I began uh, in the History Department and the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity uh, in 2003. Uh, so I've been in Columbus for uh, 15 years now. Very cool, very cool. Um, how do you like it in Columbus? It's affordable, so I'm good with it. Um, <laughs> one of the pros, for one sure. One of the pros, for sure, but it's also April and it's 33 and snowing. So, oh, man. <laughs> uh, go, go figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, your first book, Bloody Lounge, Civil Rights and Black Power in Alabama's Black Belt, that was published in 2009. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah, so Bloody Lounge really tells the remarkable story of the uh, partnership between local people, average ordinary people in Lowndes County, Alabama. Lowndes County, Alabama is a rural county located between Selma uh, and Montgomery, Alabama, Montgomery being the state capital. Mm -hmm. uh, and th this county in 1965 uh, was 80% African-American, majority black county in the black belt of Alabama. Uh, and had zero registered black voters. Uh, so political exclusion, disenfranchisement, uh, was absolute. There were no African Americans on the voter registration blocks, wow. in, in large part because of violence, violence and fear and terror, right? And, and they, they weren't not registered because they weren't interested in voting. They weren't registered because had they attempted to, they would have been killed. Uh, and so the book tells the story not just of the situation, but, uh, uh, but of how the situation is transformed. So at the start of 1965, there are zero registered black voters in this 80% black county. But by the end of 1966, not only had African-Americans successfully registered to vote in mass, so that they're now a, uh, uh, almost a slight majority, uh, some 2,000 or so, but they actually formed their own independent political party. So they weren't just satisfied with getting the ballot. Uh, they wanted to transform uh, their lives by gaining control of the county courthouse. Uh, and so they formed their own political party, the Lowndes County Freedom Party, uh, which is the original Black Panther Party. Most people uh, think that the uh, Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, the Black Panther, uh, originates in Oakland, California, 
uh, but it actually originates, originates in the rural South uh, with the Lowndes County Freedom Organization. So the book tells this story. And again, it's a, it's a partnership, I, I, I need to clarify, between local people and SNCC organizers, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Uh, Stokely Carmichael is the lead organizer of the project in Lowndes County down there. And they partner to transform this county uh, from a, a citadel of violent white supremacy uh, to the center of Southern black militancy uh, in this 1966-1977 uh, period. And, and, and it's, a, it's a remarkable story of, uh, of possibility, of promise, uh, of, of grassroots organizing, um, and African Americans facing down fear uh, and, and challenging white supremacy uh, with with guns when necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it really is a fascinating story. Thinking about you know current day, or at least the last presidential election, twenty sixteen. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk of, of voter fraud that was um, you know possibly overblown and. Um, and voter suppression tactics and things that came to light. Um, do you see? I guess, what is your, what is your take? Do, do you see any parallels? Do you think it's, um, you know, how does it compare to what you researched in this book? Yeah, I, I, parallels not so much, but a continuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really, I mean, we're fifty years removed, fifty plus years removed from the Voting Rights Act. Uh, 50 years removed from African-Americans in places like Lowndes County, Alabama, rural Alabama, and throughout the South, really regaining access to the vote that was promised to them under the voting rights, under the uh, 15th Amendment. And and what we saw most recently, and and really ever since uh, the early 2000s, is a concerted effort to suppress uh, the votes of uh, people of color, poor people, mm-hmm. um, the elderly, and young people. In other words, people who traditionally vote Democratic. I mean, if you just look at the wave of legislative uh, measures that have passed uh, in, in states not just in the South, but here in Ohio, our neighboring state, Indiana, mm-hmm. uh, they have been designed to suppress the vote. Like, that is real. Uh, and we have seen it uh, have that effect, uh, whether it's the, the, the disenfranchisement of people who have had felonies on their record, or creating, I mean, go back to 2001 with the, uh, or 2000 with the Bush Gore and that fiasco in Florida, mm-hmm. creating a list that is full of flaws uh, where you're disenfranchising people uh, who, who were never even felons, uh, who, who just happened to be on this terrible list, and it evolves over time. So, so, the, the, so yes, the, it really belongs on the continuum, but it's important that we distinguish between sort of real acts of voter suppression, efforts designed to uh, keep voter turnout low, to keep people off the voter registration rolls, mm-hmm. and voter fraud. The, the problem with this, this conversation about voter fraud and voter impersonation, fraud through impersonation, mm-hmm. is that it just doesn't happen. I mean, it, it, it literally does not happen. Right, and right. so the, the whole wave of efforts to, to require voter IDs and all this other stuff because you're worried about people impersonating other people trying to vote is really a, a solution in search of a problem that has the unfortunate consequence of making it more difficult for people to get to the polls, to participate uh, in an activity that is fundamental to any democracy. Uh, it, it really is a shame uh, and a sham uh, that mm-hmm. we are doing that, uh, especially when you think about uh, people had, had given their lives uh, to, to participate in the political process and then to have that legacy sort of roll back is really unfortunate. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. So going forward, is this something, do you just see it being 
a work in progress for another 50 years? Do you, I mean, is it just, well, do, you know, do you see it getting better? Do you, you know, I, I am a, uh, I, I like to say that I am, um, I'm not a particularly optimistic person uh, <laughs> because I know too much history, right. <laughs> uh, but I am hopeful. Uh, and so the, the, the pessimist in me says that there are always going to be obstacles mm-hmm. um, put in the place of uh, those who are trying to expand democracy. I mean, that's really the history of the United States. I mean, we think about it as perpetual progress, things always get better. But the history of the U.S., particularly when it comes to voter participation, is, yes, the, the, the uh, electorate has expanded, uh, but it's also contracted. Uh, it has expanded, uh, but there have also been uh, consistent efforts to limit uh, the ability of others to participate in the political process. So with every gain, there has been sort of retrenchment, uh, and we are seeing that. We've seen that over the last decade and a half, Supreme Court rolling back uh, some of the key, one of the key measures in the Voting Rights Act, uh, you know, making it more difficult uh, mm-hmm. for the Justice Department, the federal government, to challenge discriminatory voting laws assuming that they were willing to challenge it in the first place. And we see under the current administration a real lack of desire to challenge uh, you know, those measures that are, uh, that are designed, designed to undermine uh, democracy. And I'll just add, too, that you know, we have to understand, your question's a good one about sort of what's the next 50 years look like. Democracy is fragile. Uh, and, 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 and as we're currently sort of experiencing democracy under the uh, current presidential administration, uh, we're seeing the real erosion uh, of uh, real fundamental sort of norms that impact how we expect our government to operate and work. Uh, and that means that you know, our country, our, our democracy, although far from perfect, indeed imperfect in many ways, uh, you know, can crumble. Uh, and, and, and we've seen it crumble. In, in the larger scheme of things, this country isn't very old. I mean, we are a, a blink in the cosmos. Uh, countries, nations uh, far longer, who have existed far longer, far vaster than ours, uh, have fallen in shorter time. So, I see. I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Shifting gears a bit, I do want to talk a little bit about um, what you'll be speaking about tomorrow at the program here at the library. Um, so recently, the Southern Poverty Law Center an American nonprofit legal advocacy organization, released the report Teaching Hard History, American Slavery. It is a resource for teachers and communities who are eager to help their students better understand slavery. So can you tell us a little bit about the goals of this initiative, you know, how you became involved in it? Just um, kind of summarize what you might talk about it at the library program. Oh, certainly. So uh, I, I became involved with this particular project, uh, the T- Southern Poverty Law Center's Teaching Hard History, American Slavery, project in the, in the early stages, developmental stages. They, they, they asked me to serve as uh, the advisor, the chairperson, uh, co-chair of the uh, co-chair first, and then it became chair, and then work began to add up. <laughs> uh, but as it does. To, as it does, right? So co-chair of uh, the, st- the Scholars Advisory Committee um, for, for this particular project. There's a book, and, and, and hopefully your listeners will, will um, take some time and, and find it, especially teachers, um, that's put out by the University of Wisconsin Press. It's called uh, Understanding and Teaching American Slavery. Uh, and that really served as sort of a foundational text uh, for the report. And the report contains a couple of different elements and the project as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is just really an analysis of uh, the way uh, American slavery is taught 
uh, in our nation's schools by looking at um, state standards, requirements, uh, a survey of teachers, uh, as well as a survey of students, and a review of a, very a select few but very common textbooks. Uh, and, and a number of things were uh, somewhat shocking but not necessarily surprising in terms of the findings. Mm -hmm. uh, one, uh, teachers uh, very much want to teach this history. So it, the, it's not that teachers are, don't want to teach it. Like the nation as a whole is, 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 is leery of talking about sort of slavery and racism in the past foundationally. Uh, but we found that teachers are very much want to teach this history because they understand that it is foundational. Mm -hmm. Now, they may not have had the training uh, that they that they need. They may not have the resources that they want, and that they're really yearning for, right? Like, show us how. Give us the resources. Give us the primary sources. How can we incorporate this in our existing curriculums and syllabi and the like? Mm -hmm. uh, so that was one of the things. The, the other one of, one of the other findings um, was that students, unfortunately, uh, don't know much about American slavery, uh, and what they do know uh, tends to be wrong. Uh, a vast majority. Uh, were unable, for example, uh, some 90% were unable to identify uh, slavery as the primary cause of the Civil War. Now, that's foundational. If you don't understand that the Confederacy is created and succeeds uh, for the sole purpose uh, of preserving the institution of slavery, then you not only don't know the Civil War, but you also don't know slavery. Right, so, right. I mean, that, that's critical. So, so, mm -hmm. so just real core facts, basic knowledge, uh, we found that our students uh, don't know. And that's a function of partly the, the two other findings, uh, two other major findings for the, in the report. One, that our curriculums, our state standards, uh, are really inadequate uh, for preparing our students. So uh, the fact that the students don't know is not a surprise because we're not teaching them. Uh, we're not requiring a deep dive into the institution of slavery uh, and, and its impact uh, not only on individuals, enslaved African Americans, uh, but also on white folk, slaveholders, and non-slaveholders, and the nation politically as well as economically. You do not have an America uh, without American slavery. Uh, that's simple. Uh, it's a simple fact. And unless you're teaching it as such, then you're not teaching it correctly. Uh, and in fact, we are committing, and we have been committing, and I think the report reveals this, educational malpractice uh, by the way we have been uh, teaching uh, slavery inaccurately. And, and the last piece uh, is textbooks. Textbooks, uh, in our review of textbooks, uh, it reveals that our textbooks are really reinforcing sort of stereotypes uh, and, 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 and myths and misconceptions, not providing uh, the material uh, and approach to American slavery uh, that is needed for students to, for teachers to teach it accurately and effectively, and for students to really uh, gain a good grasp, a thorough understanding uh, of the institution itself. So since this will go, this podcast will go live after the program, how, how can listeners who are interested in, um, you know, reading the information in this report or uh, getting some of the materials, how can they access that? So a number of ways. Uh, and, and, and let me just say, too, that the report, uh, a part of the report is sort of an analysis of the way teaching is, American slavery is taught in our schools. But uh, another part of the report, significant part of the report is so what can we do about it? And so there's a framework with 10 key areas uh, for topic areas for teaching slavery. These are the areas to teach. These are the areas to reach that need to be taught and how to teach them. There are primary resources, over 100 primary resources 
available. And all this is available. You can find it online uh, at tolerance.org, uh, and which is the website of Teaching Tolerance, which is the division of the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, that is the sponsor for the report. So you can go to tolerance.org, uh, and the report will, uh, will magically appear. Uh, but, but you check out the, sort of the framework for teaching America. So you have the report, but then there's a framework for how to teach American slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the list of primary resources. Uh, there's a quiz so you can test your own knowledge uh, sort of going in and, and see how you fare uh, in comparison to others around the country. Uh, there's also, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a podcast listener, there's also a podcast um, that I host uh, that interviews a number of the authors from that original text uh, Understanding and Teaching American Slavery, where we, where we offer um, some more expert advice, uh, not only on subject matter, but then also how to engage students uh, and how to teach this material effectively in a classroom. Excellent, excellent. And did you say the name of that podcast? Uh, the name of the podcast is Teaching Hard History, Okay. Uh, American Slavery. Okay, and that's available? Yep, that's available iTunes, and wherever you can find this one, I'm sure you'll be able to find that one. Okay, excellent, excellent. Okay, so currently you're working on a book, um, Stealing Home, Ebbets Field, and Black Working Class Life in Post-Civil Rights New York. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, maybe how far along you are in that project, what it's about? Yeah, so there's, there's actually a couple projects that I'm working on. And Stealing Home is really a, a, is, is a, is a bigger project in which I'm looking at sort of black working class uh, African Americans in New York City uh, from World War II through the present. And it's centered around the residents of a housing development, Ebbets Field Apartments. Uh, a uh, sort of multi-story, 15-story uh, apartment complex that was built on uh, the, the site of old Ebbets Field, uh, which is where the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, played baseball before they left Brooklyn to go to uh, the West Coast. Uh, and, and it really looks at their lives, the lives of these uh, many thousands uh, of African-American working-class residents there, and tells the sort of history of the black working class uh, in the, la- the, the second half of the 20th century uh, through their experiences. Uh, I mean, these are uh, um, bus drivers and token clerks and social workers and teachers uh, that are really living through uh, the trying times of the 50s and 60s and, and, and you know, the, the difficulties of the uh, uh, financial crisis and deindustrialization of the 70s, uh, the epidemic of AIDS and crack and, uh, all, and, and police violence and crime, rising crime in the 80s. Uh, and then a, a change in fortune, if you will, in the 1990s, uh, as things begin to the economy gets better and the like. So how does this impact sort of the lives of African Americans uh, on a sort of an individual, uh, personal basis? And so I try to tell this story uh, of black America uh, uh, in this sort of second half of the 20th century through their, through their eyes and experiences. Uh, and, and another project that I'm working on uh, that should be done a lot sooner than that one uh, is, is also from the University of Wisconsin Press, something very similar to um, understanding and teaching American slavery is understanding and teaching uh, the civil rights movement. Uh, and there I, I brought together about 20 authors, you know, about 24, 25 chapters, uh, some high school teachers, some civil rights veterans, uh, but then also scholars uh, talking about key, area, key content areas to study if you want to understand the civil rights movement, uh, and then uh, ways to approach teaching it. Uh, accurately and effectively. So I have a piece in there that I wrote on using film, for example, uh, to teach the civil rights movement, uh, major motion pictures and documentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have essays on how to use role playing, uh, essays on how to use music, some really fantastic uh, stuff. So those two are the big projects that have been occupying my time of late. Gotcha, gotcha. That's just a lot of amazing work. Um, 
have you read anything lately that you really enjoyed? Any, any current authors or? Well, I'm, I, I, am, I am currently in the midst of academic school year, right? So yeah, it's, probably not a lot of time. To yeah, no, that really limits <laughs> the reading. Anytime I try to read something fun or exciting, I wind up with my face in the book. Gotcha. Uh, so, so most of my reading actually has been sort of classroom, classroom related. Uh, and I've been doing some rereading okay. uh, of some material that I've been assigning. Uh, one book that I've just that just finished that I read with a small group of students I'm doing an independent study with mm -hmm. um, is um, uh, Just Mercy, uh, which is a book by Brian Stevenson, uh, an author out of uh, Montgomery, Alabama. He's an executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, uh, and he talks about uh, his work. Uh, he, he runs a nonprofit down there, the Equal Justice Nif Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, and he was up here not too long ago. But his 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 work is centered around. Um, uh, he's a lawyer uh, and centered around um, really finding justice for young people, juveniles who have been sentenced to uh, life in prison without parole, um, for folk who have been sentenced to capital, uh, for capital offenses, uh, uh, sentenced to death on death row. And he's done a lot of work, um, you know, with juvenile justice and these capital offenders, if you will, uh, to find a modicum of justice for them. In this book, Just Mercy, uh, really talks about uh, some of the cases and humanizes people who we often uh, dehumanize or don't want to see and recognize uh, the humanity in them. So it's 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 during the academic year I got to read the heavy stuff. Sure, sure, uh, yeah. But it's good. It, but it's good. I mean, it's a it's a good read, and it, it, I think would really interest uh, many of your listeners. Okay, okay. What was the title of that one again? It's just mercy. Just mercy. Just okay. mercy, and uh, the author is Brian Stevenson, Equal Justice Initiative. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Um, what about music-wise? You listen to anything good lately? I have I have three daughters, ages seven, uh, five, and three, and so I am full on into whatever little pop music is being played. <laughs> gotcha. Unfortunately, <Okay. laughs> uh, you know, growing up in Brooklyn in the in the seventies and eighties, it was it was it was the center of hip hop, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. And now, you know, I'm like, the only thing I can listen to that's, that's the clean version on the radio is Taylor Swift and it's killing me. <laughs> right. But, you know, it is what it is. So I can't, I can't really cop to, uh, you know, be having my hand on the pulse of, sure, sure, uh, yeah. of the world. But it was nice, you know, it was nice to hear uh, just yesterday, uh, Kendrick Lamar. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, winning a Pulitzer, first time a hip hop artist, mm -hmm. uh, you know, won a Pulitzer for his... Uh, uh, his, his track, his song, Damn, yeah. you know, with really yep. powerful social commentary. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I may be in Taylor Swift mode at the moment, uh, but it's still, I still, uh, you know, am clued in enough to, yeah, to pick up on that. It's in the back of your mind. It's, <laughs> it's in the back of my mind. Yeah. I'll, get, I'll get there one day. I'll get back there one day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we're running short of time. Um, I, I want to thank Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries again for coming on the podcast and speaking with us and doing the, the library program tomorrow night. Um, he's doing a lot of amazing work here. Um, so again, if you're interested in the information we discussed today regarding the uh, the Teaching Hard History report, that's on tolerance.org, correct? Correct. That's it. Okay. Yeah. And and be sure to, to check out Dr. Jeffrey's work, um, his first book, Bloody Lounds, um, and it, as well as his current projects. Um, so again, thank you, Dr. Jeffries. Jeff, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Uh, that's all the time we have for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jeff Laser. Have a good one.